Hello, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Kyle Fincham. This is Behind the Movement. My episode today is with fellow New Yorker Jesse Danger. Um, it was a great conversation. I'm thrilled to be sharing it with you. I am currently sitting in Vienna, Austria. Um, I just finished up a weekend in Salzburg um, doing an infinite play event hosted by Movement Exploration Salzburg. And it was amazing. It was an amazing start to uh, to this European leg of the tour. So I can't thank everyone enough who was there. Um, you know who you are. <laughs> we had such a great time. Some amazing stories. Um, some amazing things were shared. Some great food was eaten. Um, yeah, new friends were made. All of the above. So thank you all for coming out. And thank you to uh, Jakob and Movement Exploration Salzburg for bringing it all together. It was really just such a treat. Um, I'm looking forward to coming back again someday. Uh, I have a, a whole bunch of other workshops coming up. Um, I'm leaving Vienna in just a day or two and I'm headed to Berlin. And it looks like we already have a pretty amazing group of people signed up for that. But if you'd like to join, I would love to see you there. Um, so that's this coming weekend. I believe that it is the 18th and 19th of June. And then the weekend after that, <clears throat> I'm returning to Paris. And that is the 25th and 26th of June. The weekend after that, I'm headed to Milan. And then after that, London, Bielefeld, and Amster, or excuse me, Lisbon, Bielefeld, and Amsterdam. Uh, all the info for signing up for those events is available at my website, kylefincham.com. If you're listening to this, maybe the day it's being released, there's still early bird signups for, um, let me think, uh, London, Lisbon, and Bielefeld, because the early bird signups ends on June 15th. So as I said, yeah, if you're listening to it right now and you want to be there, you should... Uh, you should sign up immediately. Um, and then the early bird signups for Amsterdam uh, ends on July 1st. All that information is on the website, so you can just check it out. And if you're somewhere nearby, it would be amazing to see you there. Um, I also have uh, started doing a, a weekly newsletter that I call The Moves Letter. Uh, if you'd like to sign up for that, also go to my website, kylefincham.com, and pretty much on every page there's a, uh, an opportunity to subscribe, or you can just go from the drop-down menu to the place that says subscribe slash contact. And also, um, yeah, gosh, I have a lot of announcements. This week, um, you can check me out on this podcast called The Movement Movement. Uh, it's hosted by Stephen Sashin, who's the founder of Zero Shoes. Um, yeah, it was a great conversation. We talk about all of my favorite things around play and surprise and uh, getting lost. So if you want to check that out, you can go to all the podcast platforms and just look up the movement movement, and it should be the most recent episode. And finally, um, I have been invited to be a part of uh, Andrea Plancart's Fit, Fabulous, and Fearless Boot Camp Summit. And I'm super honored to be a part of it. Um, 
So there would be opportunities to, I think, learn from various uh, movement and dance teachers and also listen to talks and discussions and interviews from them. Um, I'm on it. I did a, a, a really great interview that I enjoyed having with, uh, uh, with Andrea and then people like Marlo Fiskin and Tracy Kafer and Anna Grundstrom who have been on the podcast here are also participating on it. So yeah, highly, highly recommend checking it out. Um, I think their signups are available now and then it begins June 27th and goes until about July 10th. Um, but it's over 25 different uh, teachers, movers, facilitators. Um, yeah, go check it out. Just go to fitforpole.com and all the information is there. Okay, great. I think those are my announcements. That's what I got. Uh, as I said, my conversation today is with Jesse Danger. Um, if you're not familiar with Jesse's work, let me read you his bio here. Jesse Danger loves jumping into things so much he's been doing nothing but for the past decade. He leads the team at the Movement Creative to help people turn their city into a playground and find a group of friends that love to explore. He credits novel movement experiences as being the core of his education. He sees movement as a way to explore the world physically while connecting socially. Those novel movement moments have led to most of the conversations that have helped him grow. This was a special one. Somehow, Jesse and I have been uh, all over New York City exploring similar ideas, similar values at the same time, but uh, have never crossed paths until this conversation. So uh, we've yet to meet in person, despite both being in New York City to, to record it. So when I get back, I look forward to meeting him and also going out to um, take some classes with the Movement Creative and, uh, and, and maybe even um, facilitate a little something for their people as well. So let's not waste any more time. Please enjoy my conversation with Jesse Danger. Do you prim primarily work with kids or do you also do a lot of adult programming as well? Uh, yeah, we're like 80% working with, with kids or more. Um, we have a little bit of adult programming as well. Uh, but pretty much everyone on my team, maybe everyone on my team does uh, train and they're adults. So, mm -hmm. uh, we're trying to get more adults into it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel like when I, when I, cause basically I went through like movement creative and then was like, Oh, like who's running the show here. And I found you and then I saw there's a bunch of people who I've had on the podcast before who you're, who you're like, uh, connected with. I think like, um, I want to say like Rafe Kelly and maybe Marcello Palazzo and Very nice. yeah. maybe, maybe Flynn Disney as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Rafe, I got to train with a little bit in like my early days of, of parkour and, we've stayed in touch and Marcello, I'm at a international gathering in, in Denmark, uh, really, really phenomenal, uh, yearly movement, parkour, dance gathering and, uh, Flynn, um, I basically only know through Instagram, but I joined one of his, uh, exploration courses, um, 
That was really nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a small world, man. Yeah. Uh, you're you're going to Europe soon. Yeah, I leave on Wednesday, and I'll be gone for at least two months. Now I'm thinking about maybe staying a little bit longer. So I'll either be back at the sometime at the beginning of August or or the beginning of September. But I'm scheduled to do workshops right now, starting this weekend in Salzburg, going all the way up until that first week of August, and I'll finish in Amsterdam. Wow! Yeah, that's so incredible. It's, it's going to be a pretty serious run, but um, yeah. We'll see how we'll see how I feel at the end of it. Right now, I'm excited, but I could get done with eight workshops and be like, I'm done. <laughs> are you Are you from New York originally? Um, I'm from New Jersey. Uh, yeah, I was born in South Jersey and moved up to Connecticut for a while, and then moved down to North Jersey, and then uh, I think parkour kind of kept pulling me closer and closer to the city yeah moving to brooklyn and uh doing most of my work in manhattan what pulled what i mean what was like the i don't know maybe the early days of parkour for you like what 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 pulled you in well um let's see so parkour in those early days there really weren't any kind of classes or anything like that there was a community community of people that were interested in, in training and uh, they were coming from all walks of life, all different parts of the city um, coming together with this like common intention to improve this thing that m- mostly we had only seen on the internet, uh, which felt pretty cool. Uh, and it was really like a unique moment in time around that. And uh, yeah, that looked like, going out for me uh, several times a week whenever I could going and wandering around the city and seeing how it could inspire or empower movement. Um, yeah. Wow. And what, how many, how many years ago are we talking here? Um, I'm 34 now. And I started when I was 15, 16. Uh, so I guess, 17 years 18 years right so like youtube was just becoming a thing yeah yeah and the the first those first parkour videos that we saw that was like you have to download it off some weird website or or like forums back then it was like pre-youtube and then youtube uh came on the scene and then one of the first uh videos that hit a million views was russian climbing um that's kind of like a a parkour video mm-hmm. um and there's been a couple like kind of peak moments like that that will get people like into trying it out mm-hmm. and who are like the um kind of the people who kind of inspired you or like pulled you in the most? Um, I 
I think I'm, I was really uh, lucky. Like the first video that I saw was Motion 1.0 from the a team called Urban Freeflow. So rather than seeing like people doing really crazy things, which were probably like my you know second, third, fourth, fifth, etc. videos, uh, that first video was like teenagers doing things that were kind of cool, but not like wildly impressive. I was like, oh, I want to do that. Um, I was skateboarding at the time and uh, and the experience of skateboarding and the, the early experience of parkour was really focused on like community rather than performance. Like, it's not like, oh, I have to be like this good at this thing or there weren't really like metrics on what, what good meant. Um, and to me, it was like a way to explore self-expression and there was also a conditioning aspect that was uh, what I now realize is like spiritual work. Mm. Uh, so, so you asked like who really in inspired me. And I think, you know, we had the opportunity to train with some of the original people, like they would come over and, uh, and that's nice. Like, you know, if you start playing tennis, you don't get to play with people that like, invented tennis um but here you actually can train with some of the original practitioners of the discipline at the same time i think um, america new york like these are like almost like orphan communities like it was us like trying to raise each other like through the discipline how do we figure out how to do this safely like taking what we can from all sorts of different sources on the internet but not uh not having one person who like knew all the answers. And I think that helped create like a very strong community. And in my mind, a very strong idea of like how important a movement community is for learning. Yeah. Like what, what you're describing with like having, without having like a figurehead makes me think of the idea of like kind of embracing everybody's own unique curiosity to help feed the community as opposed to like one figurehead that's like, I'll be curious for all of you and then just kind of send the information down. Yeah, exactly. I think it was a very like each one teach one situation. And there were certainly people uh, and still are like people that are doing what, what kind of looks like a land grab or something, or like, I'm much more experienced or you really got to listen to me. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, especially in those times, it was like, I'm more experienced. And it's like, you've been training like six months longer than I have. Like, I don't know. And that, that also meant like, you know, where's the deeper information coming from? So people would come from like weightlifting or gymnastics or martial arts. And, and we'd try to take like ideas from those things that could help us like stay safe and practice well towards like these new goals. So I, I, I see it as like a, and amalgamation and i also see like parkour and that's like in my experience and also in its roots as like the the, the pre-sport or like the fundamental sport like that's what that's what movement is that's what play is like mm -hmm. these are the things that build blocks towards whatever like physical end you're you're going towards mm -hmm. um you also said something earlier you mentioned like uh you know, more like later, like, you know, you can look back on it now, but now, you know, it makes a little more sense that, it, you know, it was, you know, a, a, a spiritual practice. 
And uh, I don't know, I think a lot of people relate to that. You know, I feel like it's a topic that comes up if you watch like a good surf documentary and a lot of conversations I have on here when people talk about skateboarding and things like that. And yeah, I guess um, I know it doesn't always have to be in words, but is there a way to kind of like communicate what that means to you or how, or I don't know, how or where you feel like you experience that? Yeah. I mean, for me, I was experiencing a lot of little ways in these uh, like climbing and jumping challenges. Like, you know, can I make this? And sometimes the, the stakes for failure were like, frankly, like life, life or death and, uh, and exploring that. And through that also coming to a realization that like, despite at that time, like really struggling with suicidal thoughts, ideations, and even attempts, uh, that there was some part of me like in that, that was also trying to survive or also trying to calculate like, you know, can I do this? How can I do this? Like, or, you know, in moments where I felt like I was physically giving up, like still something inside of me trying to, to fight, to, to survive. Like if I had, you know, just let go, then I wouldn't be having this conversation now. And then similarly exploring that in these like long, conditioning sessions or conditioning challenges like seeing like can i do like quadrupedal movement crawling on all fours like across the brooklyn bridge or like you know recently this this past year we we did uh, a challenge where we tried to reverse qm the number of stairs to the empire state building and there's something like really beautiful that happens like past like okay i'm doing this so that i can look good or like i'm doing this with some like idea of functionality you know, beyond those reasons, I think you can really find like something inside of you that is, that is still driving and connecting with that piece of you. Um, I'm, I'm sure, uh, I'm sure it's happening in other sports as well. Um, connecting with that piece of you is really important, like knowing that it's there. Mm-hmm. And and is there, and there's like some sort of like feeling of like, I don't know, like some sort of like meaning in that, in that, in those times. Um, Yeah. uh, For me, the, the meaning is, is also to like be in touch with like that, that battery of, of Satyagraha like calm persistence like can i can i carry through this like mm-hmm. beyond beyond reason but with resolve mm-hmm. um, and i think if you if you can do that in a in a physical way then when you're up against things in your life that feel impossible to persist through then you can relate back to that experience and say, like, you know, I can put myself back on, on the bridge and it's easy to say I can't crawl like another half mile, but it's really hard to say I can't, you know, just put one hand forward. And that's all you have to do in these cases, like just one more hand forward. And then like in, in the end, the, the half mile happens. Mm-hmm. That's pretty impressive all the way across the Brooklyn Bridge? Yeah, we've done like a, a few of these. Uh, you know, the, the first one was crawling across the Brooklyn Bridge and when we like recreated it, we did Williamsburg 
uh, and we brought a piece of chalk and if you came up for a reason for stopping, you would write that reason and then you'd crawl past it. So if someone was in front of you, you could like see their reasons also and crawl past their, their reasons for stopping. Um, and we did another one called the, the myth of Sisyphus, uh, that was taking 40 pound sandbags and you'd throw the sandbag and then do some kind of a movement until you get to the sandbag. This was also across the Williamsburg bridge. So mm-hmm. it's, uh, like I think around two kilometers throwing these 40 pound sandbags and I did rolls. So that was around, uh, around a thousand rolls on, on concrete or asphalt, like having to learn how to be soft in those roles and like not be rigid in the understanding of technique because like any kind of repetitive movement like that will start to slowly like break you down. So finding like multiple different soft paths across the body and also like what it is inside of you, the will that can keep being like creative in this approach, joyful in this approach. Like, can we find joy in those, in those end ranges? Because that's like, that's where the, the, that real spiritual work is. Can we put ourselves up against something that we won't also allow to beat us down? And yeah, and it's, it's called the myth of Sisyphus. It's, uh, it's based on a, a short story or a piece by Camus who says, uh, one must imagine Sisyphus happy, you know, uh, Sisyphus is condemned to roll this rock for all of eternity, but the gods have no say about how he feels about his task. And ultimately that's something that in the worst of it, I think we can all relate to that. We're just on some sort of wild treadmill, but we still get to decide how we relate to that. Yeah. It's beautiful. I, uh, yeah. It's so, I was just thinking how, I don't know. These are all tasks that are like things that I would have in New York types of things I've like imposed on myself and done as well. And it's just so odd to me that we've been in the same city for so long. And like, there's like, and I've been across the Williamsburg bridge and the Brooklyn bridge, you know, numerous times. I'm just like, how, how did this not happen? It's very funny to me. Well, there's like so many millions of people. You know? I know, but it's just so funny. Just like, yeah, yeah, just like the worlds are so similar and just never crossed. I'm curious, you, um, you know, you, you alluded to like, kind of like the, the, and you, you don't have to talk about it all, but I am curious just because you alluded to like um, times in your life with like the, like suicidal thoughts and things like that. And I'm curious, like, you know, I don't know, like the role that practice and, and, and being a part of this community that you are in has played in, in navigating that? Uh, yeah. Uh, um, let's see, I was, I think growing up, I did not make friends very easily. Uh, and like into my teenage years, like I got uh, kicked out of one school. I dropped out of another. And I think like, if I really identified with what they were telling me I was, uh, then I don't think I would have tried to do very much. Like I was, I had a, I had a really hard time focusing in school. 
Um, I didn't feel particularly valued. Uh, and then in the, in the movement community, um, you know, there's a couple things there. Like one is this idea of like a culture of effort where like, if I put my heart into something that was recognized and appreciated and the other was in a very tangible, like physical way, I could prove to myself that I could do things that I didn't think I could. And I could prove to myself that I could, I could teach myself things and that I could be taught things, uh, because it, it felt like learning was like totally inaccessible to me in the like traditional educational format. And I think once that little spark started happening, I could see like, okay, I can learn these different techniques and like, oh, this person has this like interest. And I realized like, oh, you know, it's really easy to learn from passionate people about what they're, what they're about. So I would go and like, take like a little, like watercolor, uh, private class with my buddy who loves to watercolor paint. And then, uh, now I feel like I can create something and I was supported through that process or like, even over the pandemic, a buddy of mine taught me ukulele. And there's a part of me that says like, okay, like I'm never going to be able to create music. And there's another part of me that says like, if I just expose myself to people that are uh, passionate in this, then I'm going to be able to like be supported through the learning process. And, uh, and passion is not something that I see uh, very often in the public education system that, that I was a part of. Um, so I think, that this community has helped me see like my value, my ability to teach, my ability to learn, uh, my ability to, to overcome, think through problems, be creative, uh, manage risk. And, and I think without movement, without that kind of tangible, those novel experiences, those tangible experiences of, of going up against challenge of exploring being creative around it uh then i don't know that i would be here mm -hmm. yeah i i i see what you're saying is this like community also that's just kind of like it's almost like wherever and what however you show up on each day is like is 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 just enough whereas like kind of in, in school it's almost like always I talk about this idea of like not enoughness right and schools have that way of of making people feel like they're not enough sometimes and these communities where it's like you can go and even as you said you go and like do watercolor or you play ukulele and you're with passionate people and passionate people are just excited that you're there they're just saying like right now whatever level you're at is great as opposed to like someday you'll be you'll be a thing yeah and I think, you know, similarly, like in any of those things, like I can go to an art class or a ukulele class where like the focus is going to be so much on competence that I'm going to feel excluded by it. And I don't want to, I want to be able to go into any space and learn like bravely there. Um, and at the same time, like you can see this, like, like a move towards competition a move towards like, or in, in sport or maybe in general, like. I move towards like sport performance, like what does that mean for, for the communities that we're building? So if, if we say like, oh, you need to be able to jump this well or this far to even be a part of this room, this conversation, then as soon as anything happens that uh, means someone can't do that, they, they leave the conversation. The conversation becomes like at least a little bit myopic because I think it's important to 
like have like age and ability diversity in sport. And that's not something that is uh, super prevalent in American sport. Um, mm -hmm. you know, as, as soon as you get injured, you get removed. And then what about all the wisdom that comes from the, the injury? Like, are you no longer like a part of the conversation? Like here, like mostly yes. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think it's because, you know, maybe having that, that conversation would hurt the short-term performance goals uh, versus like what, what I would hope the long-term performance goals are like, can we move us happy and healthy for as long as possible? Right. And unfortunately it's like, we're in this society and culture where like it's, it's, it's about, well, will we win? Right. As opposed to like, some of the things that we're talking about here and as yeah. you said, it's like when, when when winning is kind of what's celebrated and not the being there or being with people or communication or you know support interaction all these things creativity yeah it's like um, can we can we reframe so that like winning is learning and winning is belonging yeah um, and then if we do what what happens to these like these systems that have been set up right and I think that then the way you're talking, it sounds like it's something that we share in the idea that like, you know, what we present, like our movement or, or, or parkour can be our vehicle for, for presenting these like values that might transcend that space. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it is like a, like a pre-language or a first language. And I think for a lot of uh, my life, like when I said, like I, I had a hard time making friends, like I didn't in the movement community because I realized that I could really only relate to people like at that time in my life through movement. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And is, uh, is this like, like these types of things that you think about like a like a driving force behind like the the desire to like work with kids as well um i think around 10 years ago I guess a little bit more, maybe 12, 13 years ago, I decided that my big mission was to see if I could help rehabilitate New York City's relationship with movement. Um, and I think that was also informed by like, going to other places like around the, the world and seeing like, okay, there's a lot of other places that like see see movement and see public space usage like entirely differently than we do here like what's going on there uh and i think that working with with kids is a very large part of that um you know one uh these are the people that will like grow up and and ultimately be the decision makers in the world and it's important to me that they have a healthy relationship with movement, a healthy relationship to movement in public space. And, uh, and 
two, it was like one of the places where I was seeing like the most resistance. And I always hear like, you know, if you want the lesson, like go into the resistance and like hearing like, oh, there's like, there's liability and like working with these structures is like the structures of the education system, working with schools, working with, with parents, like so like difficult, like parkour will never be trusted in those spaces. So I said like, well, then that's the place that we need to try to, to work because that's where we're going to get the most fruitful lessons by, by doing so, you know? Uh, you know, another option would be like, we're going to open up a, a gym and work with a bunch of people our age and be in a space that nobody's ever going to tell us what we can or can't do. Like we can define it entirely for ourselves. Um, but here I feel like we're having like a real, like living, breathing dialogue with the city. Mm -hmm. and that's really important to me. You know, parkour is something that I see as like, saving my life, like movement saved my life. And then at the same time, there's places where it's like not allowed or frowned upon or misunderstood. And uh, and that's a little bit of a aggressive juxtaposition that I'd like to see if we can like massage out a little bit. Yeah. We have this like way, right, of just kind of like, I don't know, isolating and hiding everything where it's like, oh, like this kind of interesting thing gets like put into this storefront and this interesting thing goes up in this building and then this thing happens over here. And it's like, you know, what does it look like if we let things intermingle a little bit and, and share and collaborate and provoke conversation and, and then also remind people that it's like, this isn't exclusive, like, you know, this is inclusive and, and you know, when it's out there and it's, ex in, and it's open to exposure, there's room for questions and people to jump in and say what's this about you know can i do this where can i start you know what i don't know i think about feeding culture in that way right and like by being out there and being visible and being in those conversations like answering those questions or or posing questions the other direction even like you know it, it has the, the potential to feed that stuff especially with someone like you to me who's like really thinking about it uh yeah like as it as you're talking about that, I'm thinking of like the, the north east corner of Tompkins Square Park, uh, 10B, which has like these this bar structure that doesn't really tell you how to use it. And then kids are playing on it and then people are going and training calisthenics. And there's a basketball court there as well and a handball court. And what you have is like intergenerational like movement and play and like a chance for these different communities to like cross pollinate and learn from each other. And, uh, and then in contrast to that, you have like, you know, almost every playground in the city is for 12 and under, which means like, as soon as you're 13, like, what are you supposed to do? Like now play is no longer really an option. Uh, that's not something that is like afforded space or intention. Like what's up with that? And, and what does that do to uh, someone who's becoming 13 in New York City? Um, what does that do to adults in New York City? Like, what's, what's our relationship to, to movement and play and public space supposed to be? Right. I mean, I, all right, two things. One is I was in a, um, which one is it? Uh, it's a park up in Harlem on the west side. Uh, it's beautiful. Um, I forget which one, but I was walking through yesterday and my friend pointed at this like amazing structure inside the playground. 
and he was like, oh, we should go check it out. I was like, I'm down, but I'm pretty sure we're actually not allowed in that space without a child. Right. I think it's actually, I think, yeah. you get ticket. I think you at least get, yeah. um, and then I, I taught a workshop over in McGloric park in Greenpoint, um, a while back. And I remember being out there and it was kind of like a rainy gross day, but we were out there in the grass anyway, and just like diving in it and playing. And someone came out onto the, onto the, the mud grass area where we were and kind of chastised us a little bit for like playing on the grass in the mud and was like, Oh, like you're going to like destroy the, what, you know, the surface. But I was like, I don't know, it's already gross to begin with, but I'm like, this is why it's here. Like we we're here to interact with it. We're here to like communicate with it. It's not just, I don't know, like if we're not here, where can we, where can we have these, like these dialogues with each other and with spaces and with ourselves, you know, like it, 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 it's almost like it becomes more and more limiting, you know? Yeah. No, it, uh, we ran a, a women's event in March and they go out and they're teaching some workshops and it's raining that day and they're the only people in the park. And, you know, I think we have like maybe close to 50 people and they're, they're, jumping around and they're playing and uh as far as i know uh no one got hurt but still like the parks police comes over and says like hey you can't do that here uh and it's just like what what is this park for like what's all of this for like why can't we do this because like this doesn't look like what like exercise or movement looks like to you now it's like totally unacceptable like how do we how do we change that framework how can this become acceptable like there's plenty of other places like i got to go to school in denmark for a semester and i remember being like downtown and small town in denmark uh and we're jumping around and we're actually like climbing on a wall like outside of somebody's house and they come out with their four-year-old and they're just like amazed by it. And they're like, oh, this is beautiful. And then the four-year-old wants to try. And like, everybody's like, yeah, this is great. This is, it was like a celebration of movement. And it was such a, a wildly different experience than I've had in, in New York City. And like sometimes we're moving in New York City and people think what we're doing is beautiful. And sometimes uh, we're moving in New York City and people think what we're doing is unacceptable. And uh, that's rough. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and it's um but it's but it's important it is important to like be out there and be almost kind of forcing those questions to be asked you know it's not about like arguments it's about just being like well like what are we doing here what is what what is this like what you know yeah what, what does it mean to be human what does it mean to be human and 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 be in a city yeah and I, I see, uh, I see movement as a, as a human right, like as something that should be supported, like in these public spaces, it should be, you know, when I ask like, what happens when you're 13, like the answer is you, be, you like join organized sports or you start like going to some kind of a gym or something, or, uh, maybe you join like a, a fringe community, like 
parkour or skateboarding or something like that. Um, or you just stop entirely. Mm-hmm. And I think mostly it's like a moment when like young people have to decide, are we going to take it seriously or are we going to stop entirely? And I think that's like a really, really unfair question to be asking. Like, I think play and movement need to be continue to be supported like through all of life. Yeah. And, and, you know, you mentioned like kids signing up for like uh, organized sports, like that can be, I mean, that can be a real almost death to movement and, and play as well. Like I, I was just with a buddy of mine and he has a, a son who's really, you know, call it successful. I'm doing like quotes, like successful baseball player at like 13 years old. And I guess he just has like, um, some sort of fracture in his elbow or something in, in his throwing arm and, and he's a pitcher and they've been doing like the thing where he plays year round. He does like, you know, fall ball followed by this ball, followed by that traveling team and like, you know, the deal. And he's like, my, I see my buddy and he, he's kind of upset because he's like, Oh, my son fractured his elbow. He's not gonna be able to play baseball for eight weeks. He's going to miss this whole thing. And there's like, you know, these finals and this tournament and this, then that, and you know, the whole summer ball is just over. And I said, oh, well, how did it happen? And he said, oh, he got, it happened because he was like horsing around with his friends. And I just thought like, oh, like that's so devastating that like this sport has taken on so much power over this young person's life that there's like um, the stigmatizing of play and calling it like the horsing around right? That like, that's the thing that shouldn't have been happening with his friends because he needed to like protect his arm to be able to throw the baseball. And I'm like, oh, so like, Damn. it didn't even occur to me that like, you know, when kids start playing an organized sport that like, they also might start limiting how they play in, in free play forms so that they're protected for like their, their specialization. Yeah which is devastating to me. You know, it's like, it didn't, it didn't even occur to me until he tells me this story. I was like, Oh man, that is, that's tragic. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, that also uh, reminds me of my buddy Roberto, who's now like I'm pretty far along in, in fighting monkey and maybe somebody can think about, uh, interviewing mm-hmm. on this. Uh, but Roberto was, a uh, like really high level rower for uh, a couple decades of his life. Mm-hmm. And like what, what that did to his body morphology, what that did to his like sport psychology, like how he, how he operates, like how that like affected, affected him is then something that he has to like unpack and examine and, uh, and figure out so he can continue to have like a, a healthy relationship. And that's something that you can see, like across like high, high level athletes and in, in any discipline, like what happens after, after that, um, like what's the, what's the end result or the end goal? Like, I don't know, the, the idea that it would stop kids from messing around. It's pretty sad. Mm-hmm. Um, But as you said, it's like there's like um, at least here in our country, 
there's like this limit of options past like age 13, right? Of, of, of anything that, that it feels more like free play or looks, unless you're one of the people who does fall into something that's a little more counterculture, subculture, fringe or something, you know, like it's um, the exposure to that stuff is not as, as vast. And, I, and I'm, sometimes I think it's because there's not as much money to be made on it, you know? Like uh, there's so much money to be made on these organized sports, you know, all these different people get involved in companies. That's why they want kids playing the sports year round. But like with a lot of the things that we're talking about, it's basically being like, Hey, you already have the thing. Just don't stop doing it. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, I think there is all that money, but it's not like it's like a fully like equitable system or something. Like you get money if you get, far enough along it's like you're playing the lottery but with your body yeah but i mean the like, there's all these companies that have the potential to make money off kids playing yeah 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 well no i mean i, I see it in the, the athlete side as, uh, as well to to like justify like you know are you going to make it to the nba or um, the nfl or, or something like that and yeah there's like all these like companies like uh, around it that are trying to make money also um yeah the the school that i went to in in denmark is called a uh is like basically a, a passion school mm-hmm. and you know in, in denmark as a part of their educational system they have these passion schools and you can study anything that you might be passionate about and i went to an eatlot one and eatlot is like uh i guess a word that we don't quite have somewhere between movement and sport uh my teacher likened it to like wholehearted movement. That's like, we're playing volleyball uh, and everybody's playing as hard as they can, but like winning is not that important. And I think that's not super common here. Uh, It's either like you don't care at all or you are like hyper competitive. Mm -hmm. And to just say like, you know, we care about participating fully in this activity and like us connecting through this activity is more important than like you know winning the game uh that's something that yeah it's nice to see that they have like a a cultural idea around and even kind of name for Mm -hmm. yeah and 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 we have it you know it's like kids can do it every mammal can do it in that way right like you watch dogs and like they will play for hours and there's no there's no winning at stake they're just like they want to they want to play to keep the play going yeah you know and there's various forms of like dance and places where it happens but yeah you know it's there are a lot of cultural forces at play that like you know don't want that to happen it's like um you know, competition is kind of built into like the whole structure of society. It's not just in sport. It's kind of like throughout the whole thing. And then, you know, it, it, it means that it, it all feeds one another. Yeah. And sometimes I wonder, I'm almost like, I, you know, when you see someone as someone to cooperate with, but like, they're also kind of a competitor. It like, I don't know, maybe there's a bit of a, an, an inevitable limitation or ceiling in that relationship. 
Yeah, I'm what what I'm thinking around that is uh, like James James Carr's like idea between like finite and infinite games. Like the the finite game has like a beginning and an end, and what I'm seeing is like an over emphasis on these finite games. An infinite game doesn't have a beginning and an end, doesn't have a winner or a loser. Like it, it continues. Um, so like you know chess a single game of it is a finite game uh but being a chess player is an infinite game and and if you are committed fully to the infinite game of of being a chess player then like how will you change the way that you're playing the individual game of chess so that means you like you know the the ideas of like sportsmanship or anything like that like yeah you're, you you want to you want to play in a way that it's fun to play with you <laughs> that it's uh and you want to play in a way that you're going to learn something rather than you're going to you're going to necessarily like win that uh individual like sequence mm-hmm. um and and then you can ask like in all of these competitive sports or anything else like like your buddy's son like what what is the infinite game that he's playing and the the largest infinite game and one even like sports will will purport towards is like, you know, who are the, who's the person that you're becoming, you know, and how is this like supporting you to become the person you're becoming? So hearing like that, uh, like doing wild and ridiculous things with your buddies is like off the table. Like, I don't know. That feels like you've lost something out of life in that respect. And uh, something that's going to be like really hard to get back. Um, yeah, well, because like, think, because once we're doing that, um, I also should point out the reason I call my workshop Infinite Play is because of finite and infinite games. Oh, nice. Yeah. Beautiful. Um, yeah, but um, yeah, I think that when we when we play that kind of like specialized game, it's like we're we're perpetuating like the illusion that we're supposed to be competent all the time and at everything. And not realizing that like that addiction to competence is inherently limiting when the surprises come. And it's that, and it's that goofing around that like getting lost and like being in that place of um, being surprised that prepares us and prepares our communities and prepares our, you know, everyone that we're around for like those, those moments when surprise and randomness inevitably occur because life is fully improvised. Yeah. I mean, that, that makes me think of like all the different, there's different movement disciplines that are like focused on using improvisation as like a development tool versus like, uh, versus uh, control and, and intentionality and, uh, you know, seeing people that have decades of contact improv or, or Sistema or, or also knowing like, you know, as, as uh, parkour classes start to form and I'm seeing like, okay, they're kind of replicating like a gymnastics class or martial arts class or something like that. But like, but my experience was like, I did a lot of dumb things with my friends. I gave myself some like pretty wild challenges. We did a lot of just like wandering and exploring. We did things like playing tag. And then uh, like all of that made me who I am. So am I really going to go into creating a class and say like, okay, like you have to do a hundred of this, 
thing and then 10 of that thing and 50 of this thing. And it's like, okay, like, yeah, there are games that can be played within like the, the, the challenges of like finding iteration within repetition. Like, you know, can we get a hundred of these in a row? It's like, uh, that's a really interesting game. Um, that's not the only game. There's like so much that can be done um, around like movement development and like that also informed like our like mental model. You know, one challenge for me is uh, as I started to make classes, like the people that are coming to classes are the people that want classes, uh, which is uh, maybe a slightly different like uh, neurotype than me because I really don't like classes. I really have a hard time with teachers. Like I, uh, there's all sorts of things around like the power dynamic and uh, that, that, in those moments, I reflect as like a, last, uh, a lack of value in me. And uh, and then at the same time, like, can we create you know, spaces where all of these things can happen at the same time? Like our mental model says, you know, can we have a class that has like drills and challenges that are more like led by teachers and explorations and games that are more led by students and put them all together? Or like, can we run an event like we did uh, last weekend um where there's like a jam and people can train and move however they want but also we have workshops where people can learn like specific uh, nerdy things about like swinging or how to play tag really well or uh like you know whatever other kind of thing like that um and getting all of those people in the same spaces because what i see uh and it's really evident in the parkour community uh there are people that want to just go out and train however they want and that's the only way that they really want to learn and there's people that want to go to classes and like want to be told like you know this is how to train safe this is what to do uh and that's like that's kind of their safe space and like can we like get them like rubbing elbows a little bit and like learning from each other because they are those like i think different neurotypes or different preferences and uh and i've seen such brilliant people on both sides of that line that I want them to be able to like meet each other and move together. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about like, I mean, the, I don't know. It's like the thing, right. It's the dance between like the classical and the romantic, right. It's like, it's, it's Zen in the, in the art of motorcycle maintenance where it's like yeah, quality is like the defined and the undefined coming together. Right. The uh, classical and romantic, whatever it is, like the, 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 the bringing together of those two things. But I do think we have a, I don't know, we have very like imbalance. We have a nice society that likes to really celebrate defined and precision and measurable things and not so much of like the, the unexplainable things or call it like the spirit or the romance or whatever. And uh, it's, not, it's not that it needs to sway totally back to the other side. It's about like, well, how do we create this relationship between the two? And what you're describing is like this really, it's the opportunity to me, like what facilitates the opportunity for like tinkering, which is a very like unique thing to like a person. And then it can also be a unique thing to a group and, and so on. But like, I don't know. I think of all the things I learned as a kid. And I, when you were telling your story, I was like, I remember teaching myself to yo-yo. I remember teaching myself to like do juggling sticks. And I would do this thing where it was like very open and playful. And I would just try and then something might happen. And I'd be like, oh, I'm going to work on that now. And I would zero in on that thing and I'd spend time there like, you know, trying to twirl the stick or do like walk the dog. 
and then I'd go back out and I'd be playing and exploring and weird and things. I don't know what that is. I'm going to try to toss it over my back, whatever. And then it's like, well, now I'm going to move in and focus on this other thing. And um, yeah, in a, in a class setting, I realized it can be difficult to, to create the, to facilitate the opportunity for people to figure out how they tinker. And, and that's a thing that I feel really passionate about. Like, how do we, how do we do that? Because I think that that facilitates, you know, someone being able to take a, a practice and make it their own and explore and be willing to fail and be curious. But then it also feeds the community because then there's so many new voices. It's like, let's say like there's all these different communities. There's like the parkour communities. There's these different dance communities. There's all these things and they're all just mountains, right? And if everybody's just walked the same trail up to the top of the mountain, when everybody gets to the top, there's not that much to talk about. But, you know, like when everybody climbs up these mountains and they've all taken different routes and maybe they've landed on someone else's route for just a moment only to kind of go off and blaze their own, they get to the top and they have so much to share. And then you have all these other mm. mountains, right, that have all done something similar in these like vast communities who have all climbed their own mountains in their own unique ways when they have things to share and come together. It's like, I don't know what it means in terms of like the measurable, quantifiable, productive optimization, whatever that comes out of that. But what I do know is that like, collective curiosity makes things really beautiful and it helps us be prepared for surprise, you know, and, and we have new tools and a lot more what ifs to share with one another. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think about, uh, I don't know. There, you know, there's, so we're we're called the movement creative, and that uh, gives us a lot of flexibility in our approach. And uh, I think about how like there's all sorts of different people that are ascribing like different value systems and ideas around parkour in ways that are measurable or immeasurable. And uh, and I watch like how that kind of shapes participation in it. And you know, you can go and watch a video and, and say like, oh, that's something I could never do, or uh, and it, it could be like, you know, somebody jumping like building to building, or, uh, maybe it's somebody like doing flips and landing in a foam pit and you don't have access to a foam pit. So that's not really something that you can, you can give a shot. And like, to me, the deeper value system is like, you know, how, how can we express ourselves? Like, how can we explore? How can we tinker? Like what's, what's possible here? And that like spark of of creativity and, and tinkering is something that I think is so beautiful. And, and I want to see like that celebrated. Um, so that's also been like a resistance by me around like, you know, heavily endorsing competitions, which I see as like finite games, but you know, many times the competitions are measuring things that I don't think are that important to measure. Um, maybe that's a little sad to say, hopefully not offensive to my, buddies that are running competitions um but it's not that interesting to me to see like who can do the biggest jump um but if i go out on a tuesday night with a group of people and i see someone like do something that uh was unexpected for me like seeing how they can use a a, a park bench or stairs or, or something in a, in a way that i didn't think about like that moment feels magical to me that's like uh, novel and shared. And, and I don't know why that is, but I don't know that I have to question it. Yeah. I mean, I 
I try to kind of like distill that, those things down to like the measurable things are, are obviously the things that are easier to use for competition, right? Because you can count it, they're quantifiable, you know, they're exact, but that thing you're describing, right? Like it's like the witnessing of like deep communication happening. Like it's like a moment where it was a person or a group of people who like communicated deeply with each other in that space, in that moment, in that period of time, with that weather, with that, like that, that sunlight or whatever it was like that music that was playing. Like, it's just so like, it was like a reaction or response in such like a deep authentic way that like, that's that like, Oh, like that was, that was beautiful. And it may not be the the craziest move or the biggest jump or, or whatever it is. It might just be like, Oh, wow. I just witnessed like someone really react authentically to that moment. Mm. Yeah. But I think it's asking like the, the culture to, and, and society to not chase peaks. I read this great book that uh, I don't know. Judging by the fact that I feel like we've we've we've, we've shared some reads, uh, this grit this book um, by Nan Shepard called uh, "The Living Mountain," and uh, she talks about walking through these mountains. I think it's in Scotland, and 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 at one point kind of says like like going to the peak is amazing, but it's not the only way to like walk through a mountain, right? And I realize, like in in our world, we get in this habit of like chasing like the literal and metaphorical peaks, and that the peaks are, are the only places that we should get to. So only only the biggest jump, or only like the the the, the most crazy move. But it's like, well, man, there's like there's valleys and there's rivers and there's streams, and they're all beautiful and and worth seeing and worth spending time at. And maybe you get to a peak once in a while, but like if you hike to the peak every day you're going to run out of energy very quickly. Yeah. Yeah. And it's such a small fraction of the total experience and like the, the being on the peak. And then uh, you can see in, in real and metaphorical ways, how like chasing those peaks can also get people like very hurt, like uh you know, into, into thin air, uh, mm-hmm. people climbing up Everest and, and knowing that they're past their turnaround time and saying like, no, like we're going to go for it. Cause this is something that we're really living for. Cause we identify as the kind of person who, who went for it no matter what. And like, well, that's really scary. Um, and I, I see that in parkour as well. Like, I think if we identify it as doing like the biggest, craziest thing, like over the the, the highest or most dangerous like gap, then uh, then I think in a lot of ways you might be playing an odds game that's going to catch up to you, um, no matter how competent you are. Like. Mm-hmm. Is that, is that what success means? Um, and I think that there's like, uh, you know, there's different 
phases to training. Like uh, the way Sebastian Foucault, like one of the original practitioners, uh, often called like the father of free running, like he coined that that term. Um, and he's really focused on like the freedom of self-expression through movement. Uh, he talked about like the different phases of movement through your life, like starting with like the ground and like building this foundation and understanding and then moving through to fire. And that's like, you know, the jumping as crazy as you can, uh, like putting your, your all into it and then, you know, moving into, uh, water and then finally into air. And I, I feel, you know, in myself, like for a long time, I was like, okay, like I'm like fully in water and I see like, no, I still have, like fire in me that I like to explore and like it's nice to throw myself at walls with reckless abandon um even if most of my practice is like how can I be like soft and calm like for my movement and how can I enjoy this process like I think there's still fire stuff for me to work out yeah when I had um Marcello on the podcast he he talked about it in terms of like seasons and uh, I end up stealing that and, and repeating it quite a bit. Um, but I realized the same thing. I'm, I'm almost 38 and being like, well, if we kind of were born in the spring, move through the summer, I was like, I don't know, call it end of summer and thinking like, oh, like what are the activities? What does the end of summer look like when the pool is like maybe starting to be emptied? You're not jumping on the diving board anymore, right? Like, oh, maybe the mm. leaves are going to be turning colors soon and like what are the what are the what are the the fall activities and not to say that like there isn't still a couple like warm days where it's like oh maybe trying to do like a backflip off the diving board but like it's not the everyday anymore yeah and yeah, and yeah. really and owning it but like really being like oh but there's so much dope stuff to do in the fall or there's amazing stuff when the winter comes around too like what you know it, it but yeah i think there's like a little bit of this getting caught in a season or like not wanting to let a season go. And it's like, man, like, I hope you own a pair of pants because like fall and winter is coming and like, it's going to be a little cooler. You know, you don't need to wear like the shorts and the flip-flops year round. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I think about that as like, I'm uh, like, we're running this, this organization. Like I'm, I'm growing. My relationship to movement is, is changing. Like, can I continue to create a space that like welcomes me for where I was and where I'm going and where I am now? Um, I think the answer is, is yes. Can you, can you talk a little bit about like um, the organization and some of the things that you guys are doing? Well, I'd say the, the past few years, like we've, I've really been trying to get us to like, nail down our, our core offering, essentially. 
and like can we can we develop something that's going to be like a, a healthier battery for exploring creative work um i'd say 10 to five years ago uh it was a lot of me saying yes to all sorts of things and doing like a lot of really really cool projects but not being able to have like sustainable support around those things so it would just be like the next kind of shiny thing so right now the biggest thing that we do is a program that i took over from one of my mentors she runs a similar program called dance adventure so we have something called parkour adventure which is taking a group of kids and going around like a neighborhood and exploring spaces and seeing how it inspires us to move uh pre-pandemic we would get on the subway and go to all our favorite spots around the city and now we'd say mostly in the neighborhood um our older teen group we do go on the subway again but that's like just just starting again and and i hope that we can start doing that because i think it is really powerful to see these different spaces and uh, have these different movement opportunities like show up so so that's uh like 70 percent of what we do um, we run that as an after-school program and also as a, a summer camp. Um, we meet up at Columbus Circle, Central Park, and wander Central Park and Upper West Side, Upper East Side, and go to different cool uh, parks and spaces where we can move. Um, I run a class called Weatherproof, and that's like every Tuesday night, 6.30 to 8.30, we pick a different location. So we're up at the Riverside Rings this week and uh and that's our like no matter what training um and we try to show up to that with uh like joy and resilience um that's donation based people can pay what they want they can come if they want or not or not want like there's no no kind of financial or temporal uh or community commitment that's like really you accept it exactly as you as you are um and then we have some like pretty cool projects. So we, we just did Move NYC. We got a couple hundred people up on the roof of the school on the Lower East Side. Uh, we brought like, I want to say 12 or 13,000 pounds of equipment up onto the roof, up through the, it's only one stair set, but it's a, it's a lot like up through, through the elevator, uh, up onto the roof. And we built like the biggest uh, parkour park um, New York City's ever seen. And then we brought in uh, 16 coaches from around the country, a little bit from around the world, and then had them coaching different workshops uh, alongside like a jam, just open movement. Um, and that was, that was a big project. Uh, another like very cool thing um, we're working on with uh, Summer on the Hudson uh, in Riverside Park. We've got uh, we filmed a bunch of like little parkour movement challenges that are going to go on to uh, placards and QR codes like around the park. So that's uh, very exciting to me because you know, when I when I said like um, my goal or the goal of the organization is to change New York City's relationship to movement, like to be able to work alongside parks that at some point and you know even today may not always approve or agree with what what we're doing or how we're using the space but to find ways that they do uh not only like uh, condone but like endorse uh, partner with us to to do projects like this like that's 
that's very powerful and validating to me. Um, and that's the kind of project that I'd like to be able to, uh, to, to do. And I think that's also why I was saying like, I'm figuring out what our core offering was. Like we also do private lessons and birthday parties and drop-in classes. Uh, we're partnered with a beautiful space in Tribeca called Cocoon. Um, and Cocoon runs roughly like nine to five. And then after hours, like we work with them uh, or work within that space to run our own classes. So lots of different, uh, lots of different classes. And that helps sustain, you know, a, a core group of people. We've got six full-time, we've got 23 people on the team. Um, and, and our goal around that is to run an ethical business, like pay people well, make this like uh, a sustainable career option and make the kind of job that uh, your parents or your grownups or whoever looking at you would say like, oh, this is a good job. Like we like that you're doing this with your life. I just respect so much of what you're saying. This like idea of, um, cause it's something I, I care a lot about. It's like, Oh, like what, what do you want to see in the world? Right. And how can like what you do be a vehicle for that? And also like, if you have these, like these values and these things, like how do you send everything you do through that filter? Right. And it sounds like that's what you're kind of talking about. You're like, Oh, like deciding on narrowing in on like what your core offering is in with respect in relation to, what the values of your organization are, which are ultimately your values. Yeah. I mean, I think they're my values and also the values of the people that are like on, on the team. Like, what do we, what do we commonly agree on? And like, uh, one of the things that I think is powerful around parkour adventure is like, it really opens up the space for our team, our coaches to decide like how they're going to lead that adventure. And, what experience and relationship did they have with their training that they want to share, you know, rather than like, you know, come in and like teach the, the curriculum exactly as like Jesse has laid out, like how can we come together to like, say, what are we working towards? Like with all of our students, what do we agree is important? And, uh, and how can you share your relationship to movement? And I mentioned like, you know, passion in education, like uh, that's one of the main vectors that we're looking for that someone has their own, passionate movement practice that they want to share and that we can support by giving them a platform to share that. Yeah, I think, um, you know, people get so caught up on like the content, right. Or the, um, as you said, like, uh, what did you say? Like the, um, you said Jesse's, uh, system like or cur curriculum or curriculum. Yeah. Or get, people get up on content or curriculum or, or this or that when I, I really do believe that like what matters most is like if if you have yeah a person or a group of people who have just a strong message and like the content just gets sent through like the filter of that message and it it, it, it will be what what fits you know like um I don't know I spent a long time teaching content and 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 it was great content only to realize like man like when I show up every day with a message the content will will emerge with that group in that, in that space for what it's supposed to be with that message in mind. Yeah. 
Yeah. How does, uh, like, how can we show up? We can have content ideas, but how can we show up also like present to what's uniquely possible, like in this space at this time with these people, like, and that's really when those like magical moments can happen for holding space for, for that. Um, yeah, that's like a dialogue around like site specific dance, for instance. And I think, uh, I guess I'm always like reticent to call parkour that because I think a lot of people who practice parkour like, don't identify with dance. But I, I think if you read what people say about site-specific dance, it's uh, no different from what I'm hearing people experience in, in parkour. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's what it is. I mean, it's just like, ultimately it's like, um, it's a, it's a collective art piece, right? Like, you know, rather than it being a class, I always think of it more like a gathering right? Like a class is almost like, well, there's one person who has all the things to tell everybody else there. When it's a gathering, it's like, oh, well, maybe there's somebody who's kind of like pointing the direction into the woods, but ultimately everybody is out there to like help one another, like hike through it. And it's like, we're creating it together. And it's like, it's going to be this unique emergence if we allow it to be rather than always showing up with the syllabus. And it's like, well, it's, this is what has to happen. And you're like, well, it's raining. So like that shouldn't happen that way. Like, no, no, but I've committed to this thing because it's on the syllabus right now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think that's a really nice thing also about like working outdoors and working in these conditions that we can't always control working, uh, working in public space, like all sorts of things need to change sometimes. And that, uh, I think it demands the flexibility over like a completely controlled environment where we can say like exactly what's important or not important. Like, yeah, I think at the end of the day, it's like learning to, learning to listen is, is, is the skill, is the one that is, is the thing that we, not even the skill, it's the thing that we have that we just need to, to feed and foster. And all of these different things can be the way to, to just add to that. And yeah, and yeah, it's showing up and being like, well, this is what the world and the group and the scenario looks like. So, like, if I really listen, like, what, what, what are we going to paint out of this? Yeah, and to me, that that's a, it's like a hugely liberating practice. Like, we're all coming together to powerfully and physically paint like possibilities in a space. Like, here's all the things that could happen. And b- before this, this looked like a, I don't know a place to sit on a bench or like walk through the park. And, and after this, like maybe what's possible has shifted like just a little bit for the people that saw us or for the people that experienced it um, through like physically experienced it, like doing it, um, you know, is, is a little something else possible. Um, which I think if you, you know, have like just a little eyedropper of that in your life, like every day, then the world feels less like rigid and people feel less stuck. Yeah. It's like the, the walking into situations and relationships and interactions and seeing more options. Yeah. Man, I I'm so bummed that I'm leaving in like two days. I feel like I'm like, I want to come out and practice like through the summer here, but when I get back, I, 
we definitely have to like connect in person in August or September, whatever it is that I return. I just feel like, um, I don't know, we share a lot of ideas and values. Yeah, that would be wonderful. Like getting out and just moving, moving around and sharing ideas. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're, you're welcome to, uh, guest coach, the Tuesday nights community session. And, uh, I do a little something different every week and, uh, coaches and people are in from, from other places. Like sometimes they'll take over, uh, one of my buddies is from Columbia and he's going to check, uh, in a week. So he's going to teach them like acrobatics tomorrow night. And yeah, uh, you're super welcome, uh, out at those. And I'd love to just meet up and move. And count me in as soon as I get back, I'm there for a Tuesday and then, uh, we'll move or we'll, we'll grab coffee or tea or whatever it is and, and, and chat and crawl across a bridge. Beautiful. If people want to connect with you and also figure out how to, how to participate in any of the offerings that you have, what's the best way? Um, you can check out the website, uh, themovementcreative.com, uh, themovementcreative.com or at themovementcreative on Instagram. Um, I'm at jesse.danger. Uh, yeah, you can email me at jesse at themovementcreative.com. Um, we all try to be pretty easy to get a hold of. So, man, thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, it's a powerful conversation. I appreciate it.